morning. If you turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Um, I told a story last week about my dog, Fern, and I've had several people tell me, we are praying that your dog would come back. And so I must have been a little bit unclear at the end of that story. I'm sorry. I, I, I locked her in the barn, and then uh, she, she was there the whole time. We never lost her. And now she's happily pointing lizards and chasing squirrels in our backyard. So, um, so there it is. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, around, around verse, verse 20. You know, we've been talking about and, and studying what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Which Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. And we said, one thing is that the Spirit will come upon you, Old Testament and New, for extraordinary works to glorify God. This happened with Peter and Paul numerous times, particularly in the book of Acts. But also, what Paul is saying here is go on being filled or walking in, you might say, living in the, the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he rolls, Paul rolls into several results. What does the Spirit enable us to do? And the things he gives are, are, some of them we say, yes, I get that. But there's a little bit of surprise there. The the Spirit-filled heart magnifies God's name with worship, particularly in song, Paul says. Paul said we sing to encourage other believers and we sing to God as well. So, so the spirit-filled heart, first, it worships the Lord. It overflows with song. And then he moves to the second thing. The spirit-filled heart then gives thanks. Not, not just when the harvest is good, but when it is terrible. And he says this. We give thanks always and for all things. You see, anyone who believes that God exists can and will often give thanks when there's a bounty, right? When, uh, when things are going well. And Paul's point is, it's the spirit in the believer that enables you to do something that's absolutely extraordinary, and that is give thanks always and in the midst for everything. So let me read to you Ephesians 5. Started around verse 15, which we've already covered, and we're going to go to about verse uh, 21. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but a wise. Okay, how do we walk wisely? Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery or recklessness. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the third thing, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. If you would, please pray with me. Father, we worship you. You are the God of light, God of truth, God that sits on high. All things you tell us in Ephesians 1, all authority has been given to Christ for the church, for the good of the church. Lord, you are not just a God that sits on his throne with his hands tied saying, I'm so sorry you're going through that. 
Lord, you, you are God that has purpose of good and glory in everything. Father, and we want to be a people that see you as, as larger and more powerful than every situation that we're involved in. Lord, and not see you set off, but to be able to give thanks in everything and for everything because we know all things work together for our good and for your glory. Lord, and that is, that's hard when we're suffering. And so, Lord, minister to us right now. Let your Holy Spirit work truth in our hearts and our minds. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. H.A. Ironside was uh, one of the early ministers at the Moody Bible Chapel in Chicago. And he tells a story that he was at a crowded restaurant, not many seats available. And just as he was about to begin his meal, a, a man approached him and said, Could I, there's nowhere else to sit. Could I sit with you? And Ironside said, sure, have, have a seat. And as was his custom, Harry Ironside bowed and, and prayed and thanked the Lord for his food. And when he opened his eyes, the other man asked, do you have a headache? And Ironside said, no, I don't have a headache. And the other man said, is there, is there something wrong with your food? Ironside said, no, I, I was simply thanking God as I always do before I eat. The man responded, he said, oh, you're, you're one of those, are you? Well, I want you to know I never give thanks. I earn my money by the sweat of my brow. I don't give thanks to anybody when I eat. I just start right in. Ironside said, yes, you're just like my dog. That's what he does too. (laughs) Here is the condition of mankind that this man explained quite well to Harry Ironside. And and Paul says it in Romans 1, verse 20 and 21. This, This is how he describes it. Ever since the creation of the world, his invisible nature, namely his eternal power and deity, has been clearly perceived in the things that have been made. So men were without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, notice this, or give thanks. So thanksgiving to our creator is lost in the fall of man. And it is regained when the Spirit enters the believer's heart. Mankind then sees his greatness, Paul says, the greatness of God in creation. We we see his power, yet there's no response. There's no thanksgiving. There's no worship. There's a total separation from God that came in the fall, relationally. And so, so like this man, there's a perception that I actually have little to be thankful for or grateful for. Jesus came to, to fix the problem of our separation from God, and the result of that is a heart filled with the Holy Spirit that overflows in thanksgiving. So this is how Paul's already said in Ephesians 1, Ephesians 1, 18 and 19. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance to the saints, and what is the greatness of his immeasurable power towards us who believe. Do you see what he's saying? Is Your eyes now have been opened to knowing God and all the treasures that he's given you in Christ. 
His greatness, His glory, His sacrifice for sinful people. Filled with the Holy Spirit so we can sing Him worship with thanksgiving to Him because He's made us alive. Ephesians 5, Paul says, give thanks. And not just sometimes, but always and for all things. So that means there is nothing and no time when we are to be lacking a thankful heart. And what is remarkable is he then gives you the ability to do that through filling us with the Holy Spirit. And you might be saying, okay, Rusty, but if I'm supposed to give thanks for all things, well, what about the hardships I'm going through now? Here's our main idea this morning. The Spirit-filled heart is to give thanks always and for all things. Always and for all things. Paul tells us what we are to do and then when we are to do it. We're just going to look at one verse. Okay, first, here's point one. We are to give thanks to God through Christ. Look, look in your Bibles there, please. Verse 20. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. There was a ministerial student in Evanston, Illinois, who was part of a life-saving squad in 1860. And there was a terrible shipwreck there, and the ministerial student went into the water and pulled 17 different people out. His name was Edward Spencer. He saved 17 passengers from this ship. And in the process, his health was permanently damaged. Some years later at his funeral, it was noted that not one of the 17 people he rescued ever thanked him for it. Certainly for his selfless act, saving these people, we would say he deserves a reward, he deserves a medal, thanksgiving, honor. And by not doing it, those rescued showed their lack of appreciation and love for the man who laid down his life to redeem them and lack of understanding of the cost to rescue their lives. Our salvation in some ways is similar, that God sent his son to sacrifice his own body, freely die to save his people. And if he has saved you, then we must ask, how is it that God wants us to respond to the cross of sacrifice where I was saved? Do we, do we take pilgrimages to the cross? Is that what he wants? Do, do we give away all of our possessions and live as paupers? Do we beat ourselves up and feel guilty as if I can never do enough for him? And notice what he says here in verse 20. Give thanks. That's what he says. Now, that, that goes back. Let, let me... Let me back up into the Old Testament. Psalm 107, verse 21 and 22. Let me start there. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works of the children of men. And let them offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds and songs of joy. So you, you see, he's talking about making a peace offering there, which is an offering in the temple for your sins. And as you do it, there should be thanksgiving to the Lord. And the, and the psalm says, tell of his deeds, sing of joy 
in thanksgiving for what He's done for you. An offering of thanksgiving for God's free grace and forgiveness. Now, here's what Hebrews 13 piggybacks on on something similar and says it like this. Through Him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Okay? If it is the sacrifice of Christ that prepares heaven for me, not my sacrifice, then, then what sacrifice does he now receive from me? If it's not my works, if my works have nothing to offer the Lord in terms of making me righteous and clean, then, then what sacrifice does he want from me? And the answer is thanks and praise for who he is and what he's done as a response. Now, why? Why does God want no physical sacrifice from you, but just the sacrifice of thanksgiving, praise, and worship? And the answer is, the same reason God does everything else. To magnify His name, to glorify His name, and then to bring you joy. Psalm 69, 30 and 32 says this, I will praise the name of the Lord with song. I will magnify Him with thanksgiving. So the psalmist is saying, my thanksgiving to the Lord, it, it magnifies Him. My, my thanksgiving magnifies the Lord. And you ask, okay, well, what, is, what does that mean? And how does that apply to me? The word magnify in the Bible is, is used in two different senses. Um, first is like a microscope. And a, second is like a telescope. You, you microscope magnify something by making something appear bigger than it actually is. So you, you take something small and you make it look bigger. That's the opposite of what's being talked about here. He, here he's talking about a telescope magnification. You take something that is, seems, seems small, seems insignificant, and you make it appear as big as it actually and really is. And David is saying he is going to make God look as big as he really is, the best he can. Here's the duty of the Christian then in our worship to make God look as great as he really is, to magnify him. So the chief way that we telescope God, magnify God, I would say is thanksgiving and praise. Our thanksgiving and praise magnifies and shows the reality of the greatness and the glory of who our God is. Now, how does that work? Thanksgiving magnifies God because it telescopes the gospel of grace in the work of Jesus. It says, I come to God not as a giver, giving him something he needs as a sacrifice, but my thanksgiving is that I am a receiver. I'm a beneficiary I'm the unworthy one. I am the broken one. I'm the sinful one who was shown so much grace. I'm the leper who was invited in and cleansed. I'm the homeless man who was invited to the banquet and charged and called to be the son of the king. And so the gospel says everything that God's law requires of me to be saved, Jesus now provides for me. And when the world sees us offering thanks and worship, not to earn God's favor, but because we have it in Christ, 
not to merit his love. It glorifies God and it points others to their need of his grace and his forgiveness. So I want to ask you, my friends, what is your life telescope to the world? What is it that your life makes look big to the world? Imagine with me that you have a friend, a, a very close friend, and his grandmother or her, her grandmother sends the two of you for a weekend in Paris. Just, just out of the blue. I'm paying for everything. Here's my credit card. Go. Have a great time. It's on me. It's, and you say to your buddy, this is going to be the best day we've ever had. <laughs> and so you start your day in the Louvre. And you think, oh, no, that wouldn't be the best day ever, Rusty. I don't want to look at art. Well, for some of us, it would. And you, you see the Rembrandts and the Picassos and the Monets. And as you leave, you say, thanks, Grandma. <laughs> and then you do lunch, and you go to Guy Savoy. And you eat like a king at one of the best restaurants in the world. And you walk out, and you say, wow, that was amazing. Thanks, Grandma. And you finish that night, Real Madrid, the soccer club, is playing Paris, and you get to go and you watch Neymar, and you watch a Messi play, the best players in the world, and Neymar has a hat trick, scores three goals, and you're just flabbergasted, and you leave, and it's the best thing you've ever seen on the, on the sports field, and you say, thanks, Grandma. Now, she is amazing. I can't believe she did all this for us. How much she loves us. How much she's willing to sacrifice for us. Your life was magnifying the love, the compassion, and the grace of your grandma. You're telescoping that to those around you with thanksgiving. And the more you experience her free grace, the more you are moved to thankfulness. The more you experience of that incredible day, the more your heart is stirred with praise and thanksgiving. And that's exactly how the gospel works. She received praise that she was due, and you received the joy of her grace. And anybody who hears you praise the goodness of your grandmother thinks, this is a woman I must meet. <laughs> this is an incredible woman. Worship and thanksgiving is not a dead duty. It's an overflow, Paul is saying, of the Spirit-filled heart that experiences all the grace, the love, and the goodness of Christ for us. You are a special people called by God, saved by grace through faith, set apart to know and worship Him on earth, filled, marked with the Spirit. Worship and thanksgiving is not a dormant activity. It is not just for God, but worshipers and thanksgiving brings joy to your heart because it draws you close to the source of joy, which is Christ. The more you experience His goodness, His love, His grace, primarily through His Word, the more the Spirit leads us to worship thanksgiving in the fruits of joy. The less you experience of His goodness, His love, His grace, primarily through His Word, the less time in worship and Word, the less thanksgiving and joy come out of your lives. Let's go to the second thing. 
So now we've looked at what we are to do. Let's focus on then when we are to do it. When we are to have a heart of thanksgiving. Point two. Look at verse 20 with me, please. Giving thanks always and for all things. Notice the two alls. Always and for all things. Start with always. To give thanks sometimes is easy. We don't need exhorting. I don't need to tell you to give thanks when your fields and your orchards are full. When there is an abundance of work and money in your life. When your health is good and you're enjoying your marriage. Most can say then, oh, I thank God. God is good. But what about when it is bad? When you can't find work. You can't pay the bills. Your health is really struggling. Your finances need improving. When you lose a loved one. When you live in pain. Notice what he says. Always and in all things. Even the bitter. Now here's why that is here. Because it is only the power of the Spirit that one is able to bless God. Notice it is not in all things. It is for all things. And you say, okay, Rusty, how does that work? Am I to thank God for losing my job? My husband abandoning me? My lung cancer? That sounds very morbid. Having a thankful heart for all things doesn't mean that we live in denial. You suppress your feelings, you ignore reality, or just thank Him that I'm not as bad off as that person over there. So what does it mean to thank God for all things? Let me start here. Suffering produces perseverance, character, and hope in your life. I'm going to read you Romans 5, verse 3 and 4. Let me, if you would, flip there with me real fast. Because I only wrote down half the verse. And I want to read the whole thing to you. Romans 5, verse 3 and 4. More than that, we rejoice in our suffering. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our lives through the Holy Spirit has been given to us. Paul says that he glories in his suffering. (laughs) He glories in his suffering. He glories that his suffering is equipping him for godly life. He's not glorying just in the pain and the suffering itself. He's glorying in how God uses the suffering in his life. You see, it is much more than just God is with us or God is with me in this situation. That's true. But Paul says, be thankful for it. And I glory in it because God uses the affliction to transform us into something beautiful in his life. He does something in your life through it that that could not be done without it. God then has a design in your hardships and suffering. And it's his design that I can be thankful for. A design fueled by love for you. All things that happen are fueled by his good purposes for you. 
And suffering and trials are God's workmen upon our heart. They destroy pride. They tear down the security that we've placed in material things or health or beauty or money. They show us our desperate need for Him. They draw us close to God. God uses every means for our good. God is far more committed to our Christ-likeness than our comfort. He wants what is best for us, not often what is easy for us. And so we often pray, God, make us more like Christ. And that is just what He is doing through hardships and suffering. Now, I need to say this. God is not the author of evil. He is not the author of evil in sin. In every and all of life, God's sovereign purposes are working His glory and the good of His people. Out of death, out of sickness, out of war, out of loss, He is bringing goodness, beauty, salvation, transformation. He is a Redeemer. And so before you pray, God, remove this from my life. God, free me from this. I want to challenge you. Pray, God, use this in my life. God, transform this. Don't let my pain, don't let my suffering, don't let this go useless. Redeem it. And I thank you for it. I thank you for what you're going to do through it. That's how I think Paul means it. Augustine tells that the early saints... When they met each other, they would never separate without saying Deo gratias, which means thanks be to God. And so frequently their conversations would be about the persecutions that raged against them. And they would finish their conversations by saying Deo gratias, thanks be to God. Sometimes they had to tell of dear brothers and sisters who were devoured by the beast in the amphitheaters. And even there, they would say, Deo gratias, thanks be to God. Frequently, they mourned the uprise of heresy in the church. And there, they would say, Deo gratias, thanks be to God. They were living out what the Bible says, giving thanks always and for all things, knowing that God is sovereignly working through the good and through the turmoil. Now, I want to close with, how do you, how do you develop a thankful heart? How, how do you have a thankful heart in worship? Because it's a lot more than just trials. But maybe you say, Rusty, I come in and sometimes my heart's not thankful. I don't want to worship. My heart is hard. Everything that's going on in my world, my life. I want to take you to David in Psalm 27, verse 6 and 7, and we'll finish here. This is what David says. I wash my hands in innocence, and I go around your altar, O Lord. Proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling of your wondrous deeds. Here's a picture of David. He's making a sacrifice for his sins. The lamb is there and he's watching it. He does something. The lamb is the sacrifice. It's his substitute. The lamb's blood is spilled out for his sins. And he's seeing and he's realizing he does something different than what's called for. He goes around it. I take that very literally. He walks around the sacrifice. And what he's doing is he's, he's looking at it. 
And he's observing it, that this lamb's sacrifice, his death, should be my death for sin. That this lamb, this innocent, white, pure lamb, is taking the judgment that I deserve. And he goes around and around and around. And the result is, as he sees the substitute that God's grace has provided for him, he erupts in thanksgiving to the Lord. For us, it is the same. I want to encourage you. God has provided a substitutionary sacrifice for you. Spend time going around it. Reading, meditating, praying through everything that God has done for you through Christ. Like Isaiah 53 that we read earlier says, and there, as you focus on God's loving sacrifice for you, and as you see it, as you meditate on it, what you will see is He has given you a substitute, a once-for-all sacrifice for your sins, paid for, received by faith alone. And what He asks from you is, have a heart by the Spirit's filling that worships me with thanksgiving. And when we do that, it telescopes. It shows His glory, His grace, His mercy, His love to us and to the world. Father, I, I praise You. Um, I thank You that You are working in all things. And You don't want us to be a mindless people, Lord, who simply say, thank You, Lord, that I'm going through this hard thing. But rather, thank You that You are sovereign and You are working and there are promises attached to my hardships. The promises that you will never leave me, you will never forsake me. The promises is that Christ will be with me. The promises is that all things work together for the good of those who love Christ and are called according to that purpose. Lord, and so in all things we can have a thankful heart because you're bigger, you're more glorious, you're more powerful, and you're working those things, everything. There's no surprises for your glory and for our good. And so, Lord, we want to be a people that are radically different than the world who only give thanks when the days are good. We want to be a people who thank our sovereign king in the worst of times because we know we're not abandoned and we know he's working and he's working good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together, please, to close. And today we're going to sing the chorus to His Mercy is More together. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more, stronger than darkness, new every morn, our sins they are many, His mercy is our sins, our sins they pastor say recently when someone asked, well, what do you tell someone who's really hurting? And he says, I tell them that God is in heaven crying for them. And I just thought that's the biggest bunch of rubbish I've ever heard.
What, what good does that do you? No, the, the Bible tells you that when you're going through hard things, God has purpose in it. He's not far off. And he's got purpose, and there's a promise attached to it. And that's how God's people in Thanksgiving endure the hardest of seasons, knowing that our Father in heaven is working glory for him and good for his people through the most difficult things. So there's hope. Hey, let's receive the benediction now. Uh, Jude 24, you're free to hold your hands in the air or to keep them beside you here. Not to him who was able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Go now in the grace and the hope that we have and that our King, our Father, reigns sovereign over all things, working all things for the good of his people and the glory of his name. Amen.